everybody out there, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show where we go into all the details of the people, places, things, and concepts from that galaxy far, far away. I'm one of your hosts, Mac, and I'm joined by my fellow piece of trash, Ross. Mac, it is great to be back here um, after having a week off of uh, not recording. We had to use a different episode last week, so... We had to pull the ripcord on the emergency episode. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it's weird. Um, we're like in week six or seven of quarantine now. Uh, it's, it's getting weirder. So yeah, so we've... Uh, things have, <laughs> have been odd for us, but we're making it through. We hope you're all staying safe out there. And this week we are back recording a new episode. Um, staying far apart, you know, we're not uh, we're not getting too close. To we one are another. socially distanced. We are. Um, luckily, neither of us have to leave the house. <laughs> that that helps. That does help. That helps. Um, so here we are. Um, recording a new episode and i'm pretty excited about it because we have some really fun topics to talk about tonight yeah because we're gonna talk about some really interesting stuff uh i also want to mention that i, I called ross trash because that's one of the things we're talking about tonight it's not because i <laughs> he, i heard i heard him like anyway um we're gonna do a full <laughs> character sketch of one of the main heroes of especially now current star wars yeah kanan jarrus slash caleb doom slash the last padawan slash mm. what other titles does he have um, Master of Ezra. <laughs> Master the, of Ezra, yeah. The, the Blind Jedi. The Blind Jedi. The Blind Jedi. Uh, uh, yeah. A really, really awesome character. A character whose story spans a 12-issue comic run, a full-on adult novelization, and then basically four episodes of a TV show um, with a few other small things sprinkled in. But basically, and- we're going to talk about Kanan Jarrus, uh, an incredibly interesting character from the original trilogy era, mostly. And then we turn our attention to something coming out of the newest chapter of Star Wars animation. We're going to talk about the recently shown Decimator. Yes, yes. The, uh, I'll call it a droid, uh, weapon, <laughs> droid weapon. Uh, the Decimator, the organic Decimator, whatever you want to call it, from Season 7 of The Clone Wars. A really short, quick, but awesome little weapon that we'll talk about. And the reason I talked about trash is because we're going to spend some time in the garbage smasher, the trash compactor. We're, we're going to hang out and do a deep dive scene breakdown of the trash compactor scene mm-hmm. from episode four. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, we're going to probably spend about, I don't know, 40, 45 minutes on uh, Kanan. We're going to go uh, a little bit shorter on the decimator, and <laughs> then we'll spend the better part of half an hour talking about the trash compactor. So it's yeah. going to be a fun one. Yeah, three varying different topics, three topics from different eras of Star Wars. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this one. I think it's going to be fun. That's going to be great. And we're going to start that right after this.
Mac, were you ever curious as to why Kanan was rocking a ponytail? Huh. I wasn't until you mentioned it. I don't... Do, do we have a reason for his hair choices? We have a little bit of a reason, yes. And today, we are going to discuss it when we talk about Kanan Jarrus slash Caleb Doom slash leader of our uh, band of rebels on Lothal. Yeah, we've got... Spectre uh, 2. Spe- Spectre 1. Is he Spectre 1? I think he's Spectre 1. Spectre 1. Pretty sure he's Spectre 1. Or she just... What's Hera's call sign then? I think Spectre 2. She's Spectre 2, but she's the leader. I don't know. She kind of follows Kanan around. Like on Jedi crap. Uh, Sure. I I mean, she's definitely in charge. There's no doubt about Mm. it. That's but curious. she does default to Kanan a lot, I feel like. I think that's more of a she makes Kanan do a lot of work. But anyway, <laughs> I, I mean, okay, so maybe that's a place to start. So we meet Kanan at the beginning of Rebels. Yes, this is our first time um, experiencing him, shall we say. So mm-hmm. we meet Kanan in Rebels, and um, today we're going to talk about not only his appearances in Rebels, mm-hmm. but we're going to talk about the character as a whole. We're going to talk about where he got started. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk about his time during Order 66 and his uh, time as part of the Republic. We're going to talk a little bit about his time on the run and uh, the couple of sources we've seen him in. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Jyn Erso. And yes. how complete her arc was in Star Wars. And very much like Jin, Kanan is one of the other characters who we have a sort of beginning, middle, and an end for. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why we want to talk about him today. Yeah, because unlike a lot of our characters, um, Kanan's kind of finished. There's there's not a whole, actually, between comic books and novels and the mm-hmm. TV show, like there's not a whole lot of gaps left in his story yeah. either. So let's talk about where we're pulling from today, because really we're pulling from three places. Mm-hmm. We are pulling from the Kanan comic book series, which is a 12-issue run over the course of a year uh, that basically shows Kanan's time as a Padawan to Master Dippo Balaba, and also uh, a mission that he undertakes with the crew of the Ghost very early on in their time together. Correct. Then we have a novelization that stars Kanan. Mac, tell me about that. So that's um, New Dawn, which is basically where Kanan and Hera meet. Yeah. And kind of explains uh, two things. What Kanan does from the time we know him as a Padawan up to where Hera finds him, like how he's been hiding out and stuff like that. We find the start of their relationship. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, we find the force pulling Kanan back yeah, to back his into path. the fray, exactly. And then finally, we have the culmination of his story in mm-hmm. Star Wars Rebels, where he takes on a Padawan of his own and passes on what he knows. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be the arc we'll follow today. Now, uh, some serious spoilers for Kanan's live ahead. <laughs> yeah. uh, so if you're not familiar with all of the aspects of his story and you don't want any of it spoiled, then you know you might want to skip ahead to the next segment. But otherwise, you've been warned. Okay, so should we start at the beginning or should we go back farther than that? Let's uh, <laughs> go back farther than that. So the Great Hyperspace War took place in... <laughs> uh, this guy, Narshada, not this... a great guy. Okay, um, so Caleb Dune was a Padawan at the Jedi Temple. And before he was a Padawan, he was a child learner, just like all the other Jedi who came before him, right? Being yeah, trained by youngling. Jonah and everyone else. He's a youngling, yeah. So... 
as we proceed through his story, we're going to start with the comic book, because chronologically that does take place the earliest. So Kanan, the last Padawan Marvel comic series, if you're not familiar. Yeah. Now, basically, this book pl- takes place in two timelines. It takes place him as a young learner, and it takes place him on a mission with the crew of the ghost on the planet Kalar. Is that how you That's, would say it, Max? Uh, I'm not adventurous enough to be Caller, sure on that. Caller, <laughs> I have that Caller. in my... Caller. Caller. Yeah, hey, hey, you, know, you be the judge. Tomato, uh, tomato. Yeah, that planet. So basically, most of this whole 12-issue story arc takes place on this planet, but in two different times. Right. So basically, the comic opens, and I'm not going to spoil every single detail about the comic, because we're mostly going to be talking about only one character from it. Yeah. But it is worth mentioning that it opens up with the crew of the ghost. Basically, they're on a run trying to pick up some milk for the residents of Tarkintown, which, if you're not familiar, is yeah. basically a shanty town that was created after... Lothal was enslaved by the Empire and so on, so on. But basically, they're here to pick up a shipment of milk for these refugees. And as Hera reveals the name of the planet they're going to, Kalar, it sort of becomes a flashback moment with Kanan where he remembers his first time being on this planet before. Right. Which just so happens to be where he was when Order 66 took place. So the novel opens up. (laughs) With basically Kanan's Order 66 story. It talks yeah. uh, about the relationship he had with the clones he was with, Gray and Skies. It talks about his relationship with his master. But most importantly, it paints a picture of who Kanan was. He's definitely shown as being very curious. You know, he's always asking why. Why are things done this way? There's a scene a couple issues later which Acosta knew where they are talking about the way the Jedi do things and he goes, okay, but why? And he goes, well, it's either because it's successful, it's because no one's ever questioned why it's been done that way because it worked one time and we decided never to change it. You know, he's basically going on and on and this is when he's still a youngling. This is before he's even a Padawan. Right. And so he's having these moments throughout this series that basically show you he's always questioning what he's being told, but he's also very dedicated to his master, very dedicated yes. to the Jedi way. It's not like he doesn't the question trust isn't the Jedi. Doubting. It's, yeah, it, that's it's a curiosity. great way to put it. Yes, he wants to know the inner workings. He's just a curious guy. And he's got lots of questions, but he's very respectful, like I said, of his master. Now... We do get to see them a little bit together, but then Order 66 happens. So Commander Gray and Captain Styes are basically Kanan's clones that he has a working relationship with. Yeah. They're the clones who are under control, under Master Dalaba. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to say that correctly. You're good. Dippa Balaba. Okay, Dippa we can do this. Yeah. Uh, Basically, they have their working relationship, and we see Order 66 happen. We basically see that Kanan kind of, or sorry, at the time, he's his name is Caleb, Caleb Doom. His Yeah, because he's born Caleb name. Doom. He takes Kanan Jarrus when he kind of sort of goes underground yeah. and off the grid. So we'll, I'm going to probably continue to refer to him as Kanan, You're but fine. just so you know. Uh, so basically, Order 66 happens, and Kanan just sort of freezes. You know, he, yeah. he kind of just stops. He doesn't know what to do. His friends, his allies, they're just all of a sudden firing at him. And his yeah. master basically tells him to run. But then as he's kind of just standing there in shock, she goes, well, you, you got to either run or fight. You can't just stand there. Yeah. And so they take up swords against the clones. They're holding them back. And 
as it appears, the battle is lost. Uh, Kanan's master basically sends him away, giving him a chance to escape, and she is shot down by the clones. Yeah. This basically starts Kanan's journey. He's able to get back to his ship. Uh, well, basically, he spends time on the planet alone first, uh, kind of living on the streets, you know, being homeless, having no resources, no money, no food, uh, in hiding, constantly on the run from clone troopers, because at this point, Order 66 has happened, the Jedi are criminals, and, you know, he he's on the run. Eventually, he makes partners with another ally, and this is an ally who's going to keep coming back over uh, the course of the comic. Janus Kazmir. Mm-hmm. Think there's any relation there uh, with the names, Mac? Canis Jasmir? Kanan Jarus? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I don't think they, it's too... It's it's kind of like the Jyn Erso thing, like, yeah. where you can kind of see where they, they glom together their personality from the people they're meeting. Yeah. Okay, so... Kanan basically is on the run, and he meets this mentor of his who um, essentially ends up becoming a sort of lifelong ally for him in one way. Yeah. And that is Janus Kazmir, as we were saying. Now, basically, they go on a mission together, and eventually uh, Kanan steals his ship. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's, the, it's called The Escape. And this is all happening kind of through flashbacks that Kanan is experiencing while with his ghost crew on this planet over the course of these 12 issues. So it's a little out of order from the way we're describing it. But the basic idea is Kanan, after living on the streets after Order 66, uh, puts up his hair into a ponytail so he can no longer be recognized and tries to make his way in the universe as a smuggler, a pirate, trying to hide his Jedi identity. Yeah, as as symbolically put, he puts away his lightsaber and puts straps on a blaster and starts becoming... A more Han Solo style character, a more, I mean, he's, he's still a good boy Jedi, so it's not the same, but it's, he tries to blend into the background of the universe. Very much so. And, uh, he grows, you know, as he grows up, people forget about him and, you know, the fact that he's this escaped Jedi, he builds new ties, new relationships, makes new friends and allies, Mm -hmm. and essentially, makes it through a lot of the dark period until he meets Hera. So as he's doing odd jobs around the galaxy, he ends up on um, Cinda, which is basically a mining planet where they're basically on the inside of this asteroid mining it out. Um, And he uh, is in a situation where he's been doing this job for, I think, well over a year. And things have been good. He started kind of not really putting down roots, but he he has some friends and he has he has a he has a life and he's kind of like in a good place of like, he hasn't thought about the order in a long time. Like he's settled into this. So when uh, someone basically sets up an a-, a explosion that might unsettle the entire asteroid, he of course uses the force and reaches out to stop and survive it. And that of course leads him to going, Oh, well ruined that. And he's thinking <laughs> about just how he has to pick up stakes yeah. again. Yeah. And he has to leave. Again. Yeah. And we kind of get the impression he's done this a number of times. And so when he's um, basically packing things up, it ends up with this chance meeting of Hera. Now, Hera is there for the rebels. Well, what will become the yeah, rebels. what will become the rebel alliance. Um, because she's just lo- she's looking into this because it's a strategic um, 
uh, resource for the empire. And they're trying to figure out exactly why they're having it. That and a particular figure that's high up in the kind of emperor's inner circle is here. Count Vidian. Yes. Count yes. Dimitri, uh, Dimitris Vidian. I love Count Vidian. He's dumb and I and Saturday morning cartoons and I love him because yeah. he's like half cyborg and he's only <laughs> cyborg. He's only a cyborg because of efficiency. He wanted to. He's an efficiency expert for the Empire. Before the Empire rose, he wrote like books about the best way to do stuff, management, self-help courses and stuff like that. Like he's he's like the Tony Perkins of like um the empire in the imperial machine and he is sent around to different facilities to fix them he's there to improve their efficiencies and make sure that they get the maximum amount of work out of them and that leads to oppression because vidian doesn't care about the yeah. the human concerns he, yeah he's a slave driver yeah that's, that's a good way, way, to, yeah, put that's it, good way right? to put it i mean he's a motivational speaker slave driver and we go through um a number of different kind of brawls with this because Hera is here. And once she starts figuring out exactly what's going on and how bad the situation is, her instinct is to tear it down to yeah. stop this. Yeah. And Kanan, who's sort of gotten his wagon hitched her kind of unintentionally. He's still like looking for the exit doors to see when he can get out of this situation. But something about this girl it starts out as, like, he thinks it's, like, romantic. It's like, am I into this girl? Like, uh, And it slowly just becomes, like, no, it's something more. And as he's forced and pressed against the wall and starts, you know, tapping into the, the force clandestinely. He doesn't want anyone to know because it'll summon Order 66. But he's, like, he's feeling. He's reaching out and sensing the signature of Hera in the force. He's figuring out the situation. He's reconnecting with the force. It causes him to, despite his better judgment, keep sticking around one one more yeah. spot. Yeah. One more time. One more one more job. One I, more I'll moment. Just, yeah. I, you know what? I need to get out of here, but I'll help you with this one thing. Yeah. Very Han Solo. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's really well done. And he kind of ends up finding out that uh, there's a couple of people like Skelly, who's one of the persons that was at the explosion. Mm -hmm, like he was mm -hmm. actually... Um, Pseudo saving her, pseudo pissed off at her because it's the reason he's not going to be able to stay. Um, gets kind of caught up in her conspiracy theories and starts realizing that how bad the situation is on this planet, how much worse it's about to get. Yeah, and it essentially leads to them working together, and especially when they lose some people on the way, people who are kind of like almost telegraphing, like Kanan. You're for a higher purpose. You're better than this. You should be doing more. Yeah. Uh, we get to the situation where at at sort of the end on, um, oh, what's the name of the ship? I have it written down. The ultimatum. On the ultimatum, like, Kanan and Hera are, are basically f dealing with Count Vidian at his stronghold. It ends up with Kanan having to fight Count Vidian and... Kanan uses the force and Hera sees that and Hera's like, what was that? And he's like, I'm a Jedi, but I don't talk about it a lot. <laughs> um, and that book sort of ends with the two of them combining together because Hera is beyond excited to bring Kanan in because she feels something, but not like he is. Yeah. Um, but her whole thing is with a Jedi, with this 
avatar of hope, this mm-hmm. symbol of the way things were supposed to be, mm-hmm. the natural order being wrecked, she really thinks they can turn the tide. She's like, we can yeah. be more than a bunch of like freedom fighters like I am. Yeah. We could be yeah, essentially alluding to a rebel alliance. Yes. We could be a force to stop yes. this. And Kanan is like making this decision of stopping running, of fighting for something yeah. rather than a running away from something. And it's a really, really interesting story arc to have these Padawans who have survived Order 66. We have a yeah. couple of them in canon now. Because it's funny, they all have this sort of same moment. All of their stories are very different, but they all have similar parts of how did they survive? Their master generally sacrificed themselves to save them. Right. right? What did they do after they survived? Well, they ran. They were scared. They hid. Right? They abandoned their Jedi calling. They abandoned their beliefs. And then, essentially, the Force awakens in them and beckons them back. Yeah, and- Cal Kestis's journey has a lot of Kanan, but in a, not a copy way, but in a, like, dual paths. These both are getting summoned back to the Force in the same way. Yeah, I wouldn't call any of it a copy, because I think it's very intentional. I don't think it's any writer trying to, you know... No, I think it's the repetition. It's the, it's yeah. the you know, poetry comes in, you know seconds and thirds and fourths yes totally and i mean that's all throughout star wars Mm -hmm. obviously we talk about that a lot but uh i i find it very interesting as we work towards new eras of star wars where we may potentially learn more about the living and the cosmic force and we might learn more about how active is the force being you know this newest sequel trilogy raised a lot of interesting questions around (laughs) that and i think we're seeing that here with people like Caleb Dune and like Cal Kestis and some of these other characters. We're seeing the Force actively trying to move the universe in a direction, and I think that's what's happening I, here. Yeah, and and so you end up with a situation where he ends up with Hera, and that leads to the Ghost and the Ghost team mm-hmm. and then collecting this group mm-hmm. of misfits that are the Spectre team, which is primarily doing missions on the strategically important planet of Lothal. And that's sort of where we originally meet Kanan, is we meet him as this cowboy-like yeah. figure um, running a, running a, uh, a theft yeah. <laughs> in the middle of Lothal, where he meets Ezra Bridger, who's about to completely change his life. Yes. <laughs> and essentially, Ezra is the character who brings him back into the fray as a Jedi, while Kara ex- or Hera <laughs> got Kira on the brain, while Hera accepts Kanan for who he is, it's Ezra who truly brings him back to the forefront yeah, as a Jedi. Yeah, because essentially Hera is Kanan's about face. It's him mm-hmm. stopping running and starting mm-hmm. turning back to wor- walking mm-hmm. towards where he's supposed mm-hmm. to be. And it's not till Ezra that Kanan starts realizing, like, I got to take my lightsaber out of mothballs. I need to be a Jedi again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Every character in Star Wars who loses their calling at one point or their purpose Mm -hmm. has this. They have an entire support structure of characters who bring them back to their calling, to their purpose. It's never just one moment or one instance. Mm -hmm. It's many characters, many, um, shall we say, pushes to bring these characters sort of off the sidelines. Right. Right. With really with the exception of Obi-Wan, who is pretty much ready for his call to action in episode four, 
Yeah. Pretty much every other character has this sort of support structure where they get these multiple people pushing them forward. Yeah, where that destiny they tried to deny, they finally have the scaffolding around them to put them back on their trajectory, where they're supposed to be and when. And it is an interesting... How should I put this? It's an interesting theme because in Star Wars, especially after the ending of the sequel trilogy, um, you know, they really push the messaging of you need your friends to be able to accomplish this. And this is another example of that. Now, another thing I find really interesting about this sort of little bit of a Kanan story here is that when Kanan first meets Ezra, he's very reluctant to train him because Mm -hmm. Kanan was a Padawan himself when his master died. He was never able to complete his training. How much could he possibly show this boy? And Mm -hmm. I love, love, love early on that we get to deal with that of Ezra being just like Kanan. Why is this the way that it is? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to, you know, uh, learn these basic lightsaber forms when I should be practicing something useful? You know, things like that. And we see Kanan doing all the same things. Now, on one of their earliest missions together, kind of once they've gotten over that initial, okay, I'll train the boy, I'll be his master, you know, all that. We know, because of Rebels, Kanan is still hesitant to train him. Right. But we still see Ezra soaking all of this up and is an eager learner, just like Kanan was. Yeah, yeah. When you get to that comic book, you can kind of see the mirror in reverse, where they're trying to establish of, like... What I think is something, okay, so, you know, Jedi masters and apprentices mm-hmm. have a similar parental relationship, and uh, as as any parent will tell you is, uh, so what are your children? They're little mirrors of you, and mm-hmm. everything that you have ever done to your parents will come back to you twice. <laughs> like, so it's it's very appropriate that Ezra is, of course, destined to be the apprentice of Kanan because he's so much like Kanan in his mentality and his way and his sense of justice and his forthrightness and his devotion, but also his questioning nature and Mm -hmm. his um, desire to sort of cut to the chase and get to the important stuff and, and learn the, that eagerness Mm -hmm. that also comes with dedication. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's great. And I mean, for the most part, I think we're going to sort of broad stroke over his life in Rebels because we don't have time to do an entire Rebel story yeah, arc breakdown. We definitely, we definitely are not going to do an episode by episode breakdown. But I want to talk more than anything as we talk about his time in Rebels, uh, his his character style and how it evolves. Because yeah. who he is as a person and as a character changes throughout the course of four seasons of Rebels. A lot. Pretty drastically. Because he goes through some really dramatic stuff. Now, before we do that, I want to call out the epilogue, kind of kind of the epilogue, the last bit of the Kanan comic as well. Sure. Um, there are two important things that happen at the very end that take place sort of in the, what, for the comic is the present, basically very on after Kanan meets present, Ezra. It was the yeah. present at the time it was published. Yeah. <laughs> we see the full ghost crew, so Zeb, Chopper, Sabine, Kanan, Kanan Hera, mm-hmm. Ezra, um, Basically, Kanan has been injured. He's been stabbed, and he's lost a lot of blood. He's in a back-to-tank, and basically they're trying to wait for him to heal so they can get him out of there safely. They say it's going to be weeks before he can be moved safely, Mm -hmm. and they're under attack by stormtroopers, basically at this healing facility. Um, Kanan hears what's happening on around them and basically is able to break out of the back-to-tank, save them, and they all make their escape. Mm -hmm. Well, what's interesting 
is we not only meet a character here uh, who this is the second time Kanan has met her, but for us, we've probably heard her before, that Ray Sloan. Yes. So at this point, Vice Admiral Ray Sloan, but fast forward a number of years to uh, the Aftermath trilogy. Well, I should also mention, yeah, because in New yeah. Dawn, she's yes. a captain. Which is the first time yeah. Kanan meets her. Okay, so they meet in a New Dawn. Then they meet very, very briefly here at the end of this. She's a vice admiral now. And Ray Sloan, if you're not familiar, is basically the person who attempts to lead the Empire mm -hmm. right after the Emperor's death, up through the Battle of Jakku. Mm -hmm. So if you're not familiar with her, that's who Ray Sloan is. But as Kanan escapes from her again, we meet the Grand Inquisitor and basically learn that he is now taking up the case of Kanan. Yes. So if you want to put this chronologically, you could kind of figure out, okay, where does the Grand Inquisitor first show up in Rebels? And you could basically put this part of the comic story sort of immediately before that. Right. So just to give you an idea, the comic does sort of set up some of the future of what happens in Rebels. So if you're looking for a chronological way to view this, it would basically be all the flashback parts of the comic series, mm -hmm. then a new dawn, mm -hmm. then the beginning of rebels then the um the uh current history parts of the comic basically the current parts of the comic book and then the rest of rebels so it's a little well, bit of a mess if you kind of want to go in and look at it all chronologically right and i mean in a weird kind of way i mean Especially considering the comic book and its very specific notes and where it's tapping, because mm -hmm. it's one of the few comic books I read at the time, there is an argument to be made that if you if you want to do it, it might be a reading order thing where, yes, it may not be chronological, but for context, it might be best to watch basically, what, season one and two of Rebels where Tarkin has already done his business and left Lothal in a worse state, because I think season one ends when Grand Inquisitor dies and Vader shows up. Yeah. And then season two ends with them kind of blowing up the one Star Destroyer, right? And that kind no, of No, season two ends with Kanan being uh blinded by Maul. Is that? I thought that was three. That's the end of season two. Oh. Yeah. Was there a mid season break or something? Oh, there would have been, yeah. Well there was basically a when Tarkin shows up yeah. and changes the landscape, does the bombings and stuff and, and yeah. creates Tarkin Town as yeah. this shanty town and stuff. That's about when those comics were published. Yeah. Um, and I would also say that New Dawn is definitely something you should probably watch or, or read, read somewhere yeah. in there. Because the thing about it is New Dawn is very much speaking to the season one sketches of the characters, yeah. which is fine because it's a prequel. It's supposed to. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't have as many hints to the future because it was definitely a tie in for the launch of Rebels. Yeah, very much so. Uh, basically, there's a lot of great Kanan content out there. But before we, uh, you know, wrap up and let you go all read and listen to that, let's yeah. talk about the finale of Kanan. Let's talk about his last bit of time well, because yeah. let's okay, let's just fill. In. Okay, so yeah. Kanan uh, starts on the path because teaching Ezra starts teaching him about himself, and yes. he starts growing up into that master. Yes, and Kanan is pushed on the path because there's a point where they go to um, uh, a holy site on Lothal. And they connect to Yoda, and Yoda basically tells Kanan, like, you're doing fine. You're fine. Keep going. Yeah, like, you're exactly where which, the Force needs you to be. Which is, like, the last time Kanan has an excuse to get out of this, and it's yeah. dismissed. Mm -hmm. And so Kanan, at this point, starts wearing his lightsaber. He starts teaching Ezra everything he knows. He, he in earnest, becomes that Jedi Master. And this all comes to a head when 
he finally gets over the fact that he is not alone anymore Mm -hmm. and he and Ezra work together to conquer the the Grand Inquisitor because yeah. when Ezra is assumed to to have died, he pushes beyond it. But he realizes the only reason they got to that point was because of Ezra. Like he needs Ezra as much as Ezra needs him. Very much so. They save each other in a lot of ways. They're both almost rudderless. Like they're yes. going through the motions. They're doing things to survive and to help people and all that. They're both good hearted, but, but they're not they're, living up to their potential. Yes, they're stalled out themselves basically. Right. And this gets even scarier when they start connecting with characters like, you know, they sense the presence of Darth Vader mm-hmm. and both even even Ezra's nascent Billy is like, who the hell is that guy? <laughs> yeah. um, and it leads to uh, meeting Fulcrum, who turns out to be Ahsoka. And Ahsoka gives Kanan some points of like, well, no one's figured this out. Just keep going. <laughs> yeah, basically. Like, it's great how many times Kanan wants to get rid of this obligation and everyone tells him like, oh, no, no, no you need this. Yes. <laughs> And then season two of Rebels really gets rolling. uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I said, spoilers here. But at the end of season two, basically, Kanan has kind of reached the peak of his, um, shall we say, nervousness around training Ezra. (laughs) He's kind of reached his, uh, his, uh, well, he knows what he has to do now, basically. His point of no return. Yes, because he is basically challenged here. Him and Ezra go on a mission along with Ahsoka. And they meet a, uh, shall we say, rundown, dilapidated mall. Yes. And without giving too many spoilers away for what is some of the best animated Star Wars oh. content of all time. Agreed. Um, basically, Maul sort of is trying to coax Ezra to be his Padawan. Maul wants to kill Ahsoka and Kanan and turn Ezra to the dark side because not only A, does he realize his power and his potential... But B, it's a, well, hey, a strong force user who's already learned the basics. I can just take them from here and, you know, have them embrace the dark side. And that's great. I've got more powerful. And a Sith Master appreciates the value of having an apprentice. Yes. (laughs) And at this point with Maul, we have to assume that his goal is essentially to return to power. You know, he seems like he's been cast aside. He even says, I've been trapped here, abandoned here on this Sith planet. And basically, Maul blinds Kanan. And this sort of starts the back half of Kanan's journey, we'll say. Because while Kanan is um, dealing with a disability because he's he's truly blind and in, in one of those ways that like I always applaud shows when they're this bold, he never heals. It, he's, he's physically blind the rest of his life. Yeah. Um, but through growth... Like, it's a great way for Ezra to have to take the lead and care for his master. Mm-hmm. And we get to see the reciprocation of that relationship for a while. And then Kanan goes on a journey. He meets the Bendu, and through a lot of growth, he starts using the Force as his eyes. He starts seeing the way a Jedi sees. Yes. And it leads to him being able to rejoin his team in active ways, even though uh, he's he is diminished. He's different than he was before. He can't be his cavalier. He's starting to get a reservation to him. He's starting to get wisdom yeah. to him. He's starting to become, to be blind, he's starting to become, he, he's passed through Jedi Knight. He's on to master. Yeah, he definitely is assuming the master arc here, the role of master. And he is approaching learning about the force now in a much more spiritual way yeah. than he was before. Um, and there's a lot of great stuff in Rebels about this, like Max said, the Bendu, and then eventually we get some um, some Force Vision stuff that's really cool mm-hmm. with him as well. Um, 
And throughout this time, basically, Kanan and Ezra are both evolving because of Kanan's change. Ezra has, yeah, swayed a little bit more towards the dark side, but also become infinitely more powerful. I mean, by this point, there are even moments when Kanan says, you know, I don't have anything left to teach him. He's stronger than I am in a lot of ways. Right. Uh, And I find that to be really interesting, too. Yeah. And... Again, it's just it's it's a great to see that arc because again in this comic we see the scared boy, who yeah. becomes a, a kind of drifter and tries to turn from his past, mm-hmm. gets mostly because of a girl turned back into being a hero, yeah. who because of this boy becomes the Jedi he was supposed to be, becomes the Jedi Knight he was supposed to be, and then goes all the way to being a master and starting to sever his ties and be okay with what his purpose is in this world Mm -hmm. to the point that when we get to the end of Kanan's story, there's an almost poetic natural feel to it. Mm -hmm. Like his death comes a little bit shocking just because of when exactly it happens, but he's so prepared for it. He's so ready for it. And he's kind of prepared the people around him for it. It doesn't really diminish the shock, but to be blunt, in this story, Kanan needs to go so that the rest of these characters can fulfill their potential. 100% true. So, uh, once again, one last final warning. So spoilers <laughs> here. But, basically, Hera is captured mm-hmm. by the Imperials. And this is towards the end of Rebels, but not the very end. So, Kanan is cap- or Hera is captured... And they need a plan to rescue her because she's being tortured by Governor Price. You know, they're worried they're going to kill her. In fact, even Price says as much. We don't need any information from you. We know you're not going to talk. We're just going to enjoy this, basically. Yeah. And Hera and basically the whole team uh, goes to, you know, find a way to rescue Hera. And so Ezra and Kanan... Mm take these gliders and they perform a rescue. And as they're escaping, basically uh, there's an explosion. Governor Price decides that, Hey, they're about to escape. They've made it out of the, you know, onto the roof of the facility. Um, They're about to be picked up by their ship. And they're basically standing on top of these fuel pods. And And so Price decided that she'd rather have a Pyrrhic victory than no victory at all. Yeah. So uh, an ATSD blows up the fuel pods, and as basically everyone is back on the ship except for Kanan and Hera, Kanan uses the force to hold off the explosion and then pushes Hera back into the ship so she can escape. And as they're flying away, basically the explosion consumes Kanan, and, uh, well, he meets his end. And you have, again, this poetry moment where he does this last act of righteous, you know, goodness. Mm -hmm. And there's that serenity as he's like, as soon as Hera and the ship's clear, you sort of see him kind of turn back and he's holding back this explosion. And he sort of just is okay with it. Yeah. Consuming him. Well, he, you know, what this I mean? is there's up for the, debate, but there are a lot of points here where you could argue he knew this was coming. Yeah. You know, he, uh, in the episodes leading up to this, his spiritualness, we'll say of the force has grown significantly. He is sort of communicating with the force in different ways. He is, um, shall we say, in tune to the the tide of the force. Right. And definitely, just like Obi-Wan knew his end was coming, just yeah. like Yoda before him, or after him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know uh, you. you know what I mean. Um, 
Kanan feels like he knew what choice he was making in the moment. And at the end, we basically, you know, understand that Kanan understood what his purpose was in all of this. His purpose was to guide Ezra to something bigger. And what that is, we don't necessarily know yet. Because while Rebels ended, it didn't end the story of Kanan's apprentice. No. And so someday we may get a story of an older Ezra, very much just like we got a story of an older Kanan and how he survives in a masterless world. And it's, again, it's great to have these fingerprints of Kanan on Ezra because Ezra has taken up some of his traits. Mm -hmm. And again, there's just, they're, they're one of the, one of the most delicious parts to me of rebels is the amount of growth each one of the characters has a chance to have with i mean ezra being sort of our primary protagonist obviously having the biggest arc but his is parallel with kanan's so it it's it's great to see the effect this all has because in the end of rebels he learns from kanan's example and ezra basically makes a similar sacrifice to save his friends and for the greater good he does yeah we don't yet know what that led to yeah that's true um, because rebels ends on a a very intriguing uh ending that yeah. we hope to get some uh f- finale on eventually yeah. Yeah. but it's um he's mirroring his master's sacrifice and nobility and it's it's fantastic yeah he's he's taking that final lesson that his master taught him and putting that into practice himself. And then the very last note of Kanan Jarrus's life is we know that Kanan, after his death, becomes one with the cosmic force. And on Exegol, when Rey is in that moment, Kanan is part of the chorus of Jedi speaking to Rey Mm -hmm. and encouraging her to get up and be Mm -hmm. the the avatar of the force. Mm -hmm. You're Uh, absolutely right. Uh, Voiced by Freddie Prince Jr., both in the show and in the film, uh, Kanan does get that one last little finale there. But I do want to... That's not actually what I thought you were going to say. I, I'm oh, surprised. I'm sorry. No, you're good. That was great. Um, what I thought you were going to talk about was Jason, uh, Jason Sindula. Oh, I haven't got there yet. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that's what you were going to mention. Um, so let's talk about that last little bit of Kanan, too. That, yeah, that's that's his last legacy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, by definitely the season four of uh, Rebels, the unrecorded or or the sexual tension between Hera and Kanan at some point gets released because they finally admit that it's like oh we're not friends we're not partners we're not uh will they won't they we we are they will <laughs> see you read it as will they won't they the whole time is i that feel that there's an undercurrent of that and my okay. feeling is it's like um it's one of those things of it's not that either of them don't want to have a relationship. Yeah. It's the work is more important and they don't have time for that. Interesting. That's I, and how I think I, that's okay. That's how I read it is it's, yeah. it's the fact that like they want to have a relationship, but they're too busy to do any of that stuff. There's always the next mission, the next thing. And I think as like, especially when Kanan's injured, I think that's when it kind of turns of like, what time are we going to have? Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I think they get a Mm little, it's all in the undercurrent because again, there's no point where we know where Jason gets conceived. It's not like there's a, there's a spotlight on that or anything. It's a kid's show for goodness sakes. Right. right. Um, 
but we definitely get the feeling that um, Kanan and Hera's relationship fully blossoms completely and it leads to Hera carrying his child. Yes. And as Rebels ends, we see that uh, his child is alive and well as a precocious little child. Yeah. Yeah. Not toddler older than that, but basically we see that uh, like three and five. Yeah. 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 Young, young child who we presume will one day be force sensitive and have a story of his own. Maybe he'll go on to get murdered at Luke's Jedi temple. Who knows? Well, again, there is definitely a arc of post rebels that has been seeded and will eventually get paid off in some way. That's right. Um, but yeah, so Kanan Jarrus definitely leaving some uh, some legacies in the Force, and just a fantastic character. Like we talked with Jin Erso, one of the kind of blessed characters of Star Wars that has the complete beginning, middle, and end. Yes. Um, as we mentioned, like you could get more nuance about his story, but like we know all the beats of Kanan's life in a way that we rarely get with Star Wars characters. Yeah. We're getting them more as we get beyond the original trilogy and start expanding to second and third generation characters like Luke now has that. Yeah. But, um, you know, when rebels came out, this was still fairly, you know, it's still fairly rare and it feels good. It does. It does. I think that's one of the reasons why to me, he's such an interesting character. And I really would love to learn more about Ezra because of Kanan. Yeah. You know, if that makes sense. Um, I think that it's a really great book and a really great comic. I think they, for me personally, fall somewhere in the middle overall of the books and the comics. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they're both well worth reading if you're interested in Rebels or the character of Kanan in general. They're both worth checking out, so I highly recommend that. Um, I, it's interesting because we see Kanan start off as this little kid who's eager and who's full of questions and full of a a desire to have knowledge. And then we see this kid who's confident in battle and he feels like he finally found his place now that he's out of the temple and onto the actual, you know, real world with a master. He feels complete. And then that doesn't last long. His master is, you know, gunned down in front of him essentially. And he has to go on the run. And all of a sudden like this, his personality changes. He doesn't know who he is anymore. And he basically spends the next several years trying to figure out who he is until he meets Hera. And she's basically that first call back to him. And that kind of starts his purpose in life, basically. And as we get to the end of his story, he has sort of not only realized his full goal of being a Jedi master, but he is at this place where he has purpose. He has um, influenced the galaxy as a whole and, served the force the way he sort of always wanted to and that's how he dies mm-hmm. in a way that uh well has peace and purpose yeah he's great he is i'm really glad we got a chance to talk about him i'm really glad i finally got around to reading the Kanan comic <laughs> um i haven't read a new dawn the the novel since it came I, out so i'd like to go back and read it again i will say that new dawn just buckle up because one thing about it is it is definitely trying to be a little more like season one Rebel, it's a little more young adult. Like, it's not meant to be as deep or as heavy mm-hmm. as other stories. And I will say that uh, I really, really enjoy the audiobook, Mark Thompson's uh, 
portrayals of the mm-hmm. different characters is great, especially Count Vidian. Yeah. Uh, and may take off some of the goofy nature of Count Vidian for people who I could see being turned off. But he's great. He's worth going through because he is a monster. <laughs> um, so, all right. I think that's all we have to say. Are you good? I feel good about Kanan. Um, watch well, Rebels. It's great. Yep. And we're going to talk about something else right after this. I think the, the Decimator, right? The Decimator. So, Clone Wars is back. We're we're at the time of this recording. We're so close to the end of <laughs> of the seventh season, um, but we're going to talk about something that appears in, I believe, the third episode of all of this, um, the third episode of the Bad Batch arc. We're going to talk about a terrifying weapon that is unleashed called the Decimator. The Decimator. Now, this is something that we had not seen before. This is something that's new uh, to Star Wars, right? Yeah, it's it's a very different style of droid than we've seen. Yeah, it's um, probe droid-like, I would say, mm-hmm. right? It floats around. It's basically a ball, kind of like a mix of a probe droid, an interrogation droid. I think one of the closest things you get is, yeah, between the interrogation droid and the um, the little spy droids that Maul has in episode mm, one. Sort of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Except for the fact it's perfectly round. Yep. We, I can't tell if it's just, if it is smooth or if it's just we can't see enough detail on it to really see it. But it's just this, just this ball with a single monocular red eye <laughs> and then these just little spikes coming out of it. But they're not sharp spikes. Yeah. They're rounded. And we start realizing these are like conductors. These are uh, capacitive um, yes. outputs. So this instance, the decimator is basically used as a weapon, which is what it is. It's a droid that's a weapon. To essentially infiltrate a enemy stronghold. It's basically a siege weapon. Yes. A weapon that is basically meant to take an area of enemy troops and annihilate them. Mm-hmm. So we see that this weapon is used by Wat Tambor and the Techno Union mm-hmm. when our heroes are trying to rescue a clone trooper and they yeah. are basically trapped in a room. That's yeah. where we're at, right? And as soon as like Wat Tambor realizes that they're trapped, he's like, oh, this is a perfect opportunity. We're going to use the decimator. We've been waiting to use the decimator all this time. We finally have a scenario where it will work. So <laughs> they basically bring the decimator out and the decimator like drills its own holes through the door. Like yes. it uses its own laser to basically cut its way through the blast doors and then cut its way through the doors. And as the decimator sort of floats into the room, it starts just shooting lightning out of every side of it basically it shoots out this energy that goes towards organic matter and only damages organic matter yeah it's 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 purple so in star wars purpley pink so in star wars parlance that usually means plasma yeah and so it's it's like um it kind of apes on a idea that's in actual military science fiction, which is the idea of the neutron bomb, the mm. idea of this weapon that affects the neutrons of organic carbon cells, which basically means that you could drop a neutron bomb. It's a theoretical 
type of weapon systems. We drop it in a city and it kills all the organic things by breaking up the molecules that bond organic compounds. And all the things that aren't made of that are fine. Yeah. And you see the decimator is similar for that. There, You can see the decimator would probably be used for, hey, we want to capture this ship intact. We want to capture it as an asset. So go and kill the people running that ship, but keep the ship intact. Yeah. And that's very much, yeah, it's very much what this feels like. It's a way to cleanly and quickly and without loss on the other side, take out um, a held up force, basically, a force that's trapped without... Yeah, and, fight. and luckily our characters were in a situation where they were, I mean, it's very like an elevator escape. Like they they figured out a hatch at the top of the, yeah. the, the system and they're, they're relaying each other up through this hatch. And then Wrecker, the kind of strongest among them is the last one out. And he's like, no, I could take it. He's like, no, you need to get out. <laughs> and in the end, he gets lifted up by Anakin and yeah. thrown through this thing. Yeah. But not before he leaves a thermal detonator on the floor. <laughs> yes. So the decimator arcing all of this, you know, uh, organic devastating tedrils around it eventually gets there. And Wat Tambor is like, wait, where did they go? And what's that? Beep, 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 beep. Boom. <laughs> and thus ends the quick run of the decimator. <laughs> um, yeah. So we don't really get to see it do a whole lot. Um, but what it does is awesome. It is awesome. And it and it represents, I think, the dis. Um, I think it represents two things in this story arc. It represents that Wat Tambor is a dispassionate monster. Mm -hmm. Like he's, he's a bad guy in the kind of mindless sense. He doesn't, he's not a Sith. He doesn't like being evil for evil's sake, but he, he, you could see him. He's like, Oh great. An experiment. We can finally try that weapon out. Like he's got this detachment and the whole thing about the organic decimator is like, Oh yeah, it murders the crap out of people. But think about the tech that it uses. (laughs) Right. Um, and then I think the other thing about it is the other real reason it's here <laughs> is it is a scrap of stuff that was to be in the original yes. season six and seven. And that's where the name organic decimator Correct. comes from. So in the current episode of the Clone Wars, it's only referred to as the decimator. Yeah. Cause but, realistically it's only in there for about a minute. <laughs> literally it's very, very quick, but we thought it was so cool. We wanted to talk about it. So the organic decimator from those initial story reels that premiered on StarWars.com when the Clone Wars thought it was never going to get a six or seven season. Right. Uh, basically was used to torture someone in front of Anakin to make him realize like, hey, no luck. You're out of luck. This this tool This tool will sort of end your rebellion and will basically, you know. Yeah, it was much more it. of a a obvious threat that they were building yeah. an arc around. Yeah. Uh, but in the show and the finished product, the decimator has its moment to shine. Uh, unfortunately, it's not successful at all. No, but all. we just thought it was a really, really great design and a really yeah. interesting and idea. It's, and it's interesting for star Wars. Cause it's something that reminds me of more like 1960s anime. Cause it's just, it's this black ball with a red eye and it has these, these kind of, like almost cartoonish electrodes on it. Yeah. And it's just walking through with these random arcs. It doesn't seem like it it's methodical. It just seems like it's just a wrecking ball. It's just That's this exactly force. right. Yeah. Um and and it's kind of interesting that they brought it back cuz I think the cool thing about it is it reminds you that I don't know if all the episodes are going to be this way, but at least this first four arc, the bad batch is kind of a pastiche of a couple of things. Um, the Decimator was in this one called uh, The Wings of the Kiridax, 
which is where the flying creatures that are featured in this episode come mm-hmm. from. The Bad Batch was supposed to be this send up of 1980s, like, you know, oddball commando mercenaries. And it gels together pretty well because you can kind of feel uh, Dave Filoni's team going like, all right, guys. What can we reasonably get in? What what of your hard work can we still kick out the door? Yes. <laughs> um, and it's, it's like I said, the Decimator is just a small bit. But when you imagine that there is probably a group of people that were developing that story for who knows how many weeks or months, <laughs> it's, it's a great nod that their little yeah. creature at least gets in there for even if it is just a minute. Hey, and we always love new technology, right? Now that yep. we've seen it here, it could pop up in other instances. Um, separatist technology I find very interesting to begin with because they tried some really crazy things to defeat the Republic. Uh, All in all, great little piece of tech. Love to see more of it in the future. Sounds good. All right, Mac, ready to move on to something else? Yeah, let's finish this up. Let's do a scene breakdown next of the trash compactor scene. another scene breakdown where we're going to look at the totality of a scene and kind of just comment it and uh, break it down and talk about how important it is to Star Wars. That's right. So into the garbage chute we go to talk about the trash compactor scene from Star Wars Episode 4, A New Hope. Now, this is one of those scenes that has definitely stuck in. And I, I, I think of one of those scenes that you've seen parodied a lot. I mean, it's it's one of those sequences that is really stuck in the pop culture. It's one of the the new hope things that's definitely bigger. Because I don't know how many scenes of something smashing people there was before this, but there's way more after it. Um, all right, so to set there the scene, are, yeah. Han, Luke, and Chewbacca have come back down to detention block AA-23 mm-hmm. to rescue the princess. Mm-hmm. They have gotten so far as killing the entire oversight <laughs> staff. And destroying all the cameras. Yep, straight up murder. Luke runs down the hallway, finds the cell of Princess Leia, considering none of the other prisoners on this level, only rescues her. And uh, Han, meanwhile, is doing damage control, talking about a radiation leak. That doesn't go anywhere. Terrible (laughs) conversation anyway. And basically realizes they're going to have company. They're going to have stormtroopers. And they get backed into the actual detention block's cell corridor, which there's no escape. It's a prison. The only way out is the turbo lift where the new stormtroopers are pouring out. It's the only entrance in or out. So Leia looking at these rubes as like, this is as far as your planning got. <laughs> Takes one of the blasters, blasts a hole in the side wall yep. where she knows there's a garbage chute and says, well, it's better than up here and goes in. Yep. Uh, I love the part here where Han's like, I don't care what you smell, Chewie. Get in there. <laughs> Get in there. Yeah, and he just kicks him in the butt as he falls down the the, 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 the garbage chute. Now, after all of our characters uh, luckily escape the cell block firefight, they find themselves uh, coming down a, uh, a not-so-fun slide, ejecting them into a room full of gross water and trash and debris. Because that's where we meet the scene. Is So Luke, Han, and or sorry, Luke, Leia, and Chewie have been there. And with the delay we saw where Han was the last one to go in, he just sort of 
plops in <laughs> onto all this scrap metal and water in this dank red oh, rust colored so yeah. you know thing and and i think it's interesting because this is a very different environment than we've seen up to now the death star has been pristine it's waxed polished black floors perfect gray military angles mm -hmm. it's a very organized slick and especially for the 1970s eye a very high tech very uh modern facility and this reminds you that the death star is a working place because this is a grungy gross there's there's um, in the grooves that kind of line the walls, there's like muck and like little, you know, um, I guess gristle and stuff of things that have been in there. We've got all kinds of mismatch of garbage. There's there's pieces of wall. There's pieces of infrastructure. There's, uh, you know, all kinds of trash mm -hmm. and all this trash is like scrapyard kind of trash. And then you've got the water, which makes Ugh. you just curious about Oh God, what else in here? And also that's just water, right? Yeah. Ugh. We're going to say it's fine. It's uh, it's fine. It's clean. You know, Imperial space. There's nothing that gross going down there. So Han's like throwing his hair to side to side. Now that it's wet and just kind of like, oh, ugh, uh, let's get out of here. And he sees the big reinforced, you know, circular oval door in the back wall with these like lights above it. Um, and Chewie's sort of like, kind of working on it and he's like get out of the way and then he like pulls up the blaster and looks like hold on it bang yeah <laughs> wait don't and then we see the blaster bolt just bounce around like a pinball all One over of the, the place. only times in star wars we've ever really seen that we never really see again stray blaster bolts reflecting off of things other than lightsabers after that yeah, there's no ricochets. Mm -hmm. Interesting, uh, right? Well, I think it gives the idea that magnetically sealed, which is what Luke says, like, I've already tried that it's magnetically sealed. Yeah. I think we get the idea that magnetically sealed is probably an industrial process. Mm -hmm. Like, it probably doesn't have military applications. Otherwise, why aren't all the starships magnetically sealed? <laughs> uh, and I kind of, my feeling is that, like, magnetically sealed, they're probably, like, they're probably hurting their health by being in this room to begin with. Like, yeah. organics shouldn't spend a lot of time in magnetically sealed rooms. I think that's a perfectly fair read on that situation, yeah. So as they um, realize that blasting their way out is not going to be the way to go, right? Yeah. We realize that maybe there are other threats in this room besides just being, being trapped. trapped in a gross place. Oh, one last thing I just want to mention. Yeah bothered me since a kid i just oh. want to put it out i assume that there's a sequence of people being shuttled through various shoots down to this detention level it's not just a straight shot because it's always bothered me it looks like i already tried that it's magnetically sealed i'm like kid you went down before han like 15 seconds ago when did you have time <laughs> first like, thing he did he popped up he shot the door realized it was a mistake and that was that Right. It's just, it's one of those things of like, it feels like they've been down there for like a minute or more than Han. Yeah. And I've always just kind of thought of like, I just see Han getting like shifted through different shoots and he went a longer route to get here. Huh. I mean, hey, it's possible. <laughs> so they're starting to get paranoid because it's a gross environment. Yeah. It's disgusting. Yeah. It smells bad. Chewie's just, just yelling. And like you said, it's like, I don't think we're alone in here. Something just moved past my leg. 
It's your imagination, kid. <laughs> and just like that, we see a uh, little eyeball breach the surface, a singular stalked eye like a periscope mm-hmm. coming out of the grimy water and then disappearing with a plop. And then um, as sort of an ominous creaking sound off in the distance happens, uh, a uh, tentacle comes up and wraps around Luke's leg and pulls him underwater. And and I, I think one of the things that makes this scene work is you have that building tension as they're yeah. in this very abnormal environment. Yeah. They're trying to get used to it. And quickly you switch the tension from how are you going to get out of here to, oh, my God, we need to get out of here. <laughs> we need to get out of here. And they still don't have any idea what's doing this as they try and, you know, frantically find oh, Luke, pull him out of the water. Hans is just going to, like, smack in the water going, Luke, Luke. <laughs> like, it's like, I don't know what to do. Yeah, they kind of run over to the spot where he was, and the water's, I mean, about knee height. It's not particularly high, so you wouldn't think someone could just disappear, right? And I feel that that's one of the reasons the characters don't move a lot, is because apparently it's deeper than they thought, because there must be a, you know, a sinkhole or yep, something yep. around, because how did Luke disappear all the way underneath of uh, it? Exactly. Did he just Because at this point, like I said, it could just be he just stepped in something and dropped. Except for he comes back up. <laughs> yeah. With a tentacle wrapped around his body and his chest and his neck. And uh, basically Han and Chewie and Leia are trying to shoot the beast off of him and <laughs> trying to pull him back up. and then... Shoot it where? Anywhere. <laughs> Poor Luke. His hair is not going to look good after no. this. No, it's not. Uh, so basically... After a moment of the water just being still and our heroes thinking, well, Luke unfortunately didn't make it. We might be next. As we're getting to that point of like, he probably can't hold his breath as long as we're waiting. <laughs> yes. Yes. They, there is a good pause for dramatic tension there. Uh, he basically breaks back through the surface of the water. Well, there's that mechanical whine. Yep. There's this kind of like mm-hmm. this actuator being started or something. Yeah. And uh, our friend, the Dianoga, lets Luke go. Yeah, Omi has been in this this place a lot longer than these heroes and knows what that sound means. She knows, yeah. She knows she needs to escape to, uh, what do they call it? There's like under, like in the trash compactor, there's like there's an, an underground alcove. level, basically, where it can hide. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a little nook where it's basically underneath the actual smashing now, if you have no idea what we're talking about, because this isn't actually in the movie, uh, go read From a Certain Point of View, which is a Star Wars book. One of the short stories in there t- talks about Omi, our uh, Dianoga friend who we meet Our here. most recommended piece of not movie canon in this entire, yes. <laughs> entire podcast we are, we history. We big, big fans of From a Certain but Point But we'll of talk view. about The Great War of Omi at another time, which I think yes. we've teased at least four times during the course of this show. I think we have. Uh, we'll have to get to that eventually. Yeah, but will. the Dianoga disappears. Yes. And t- and Luke tells us that information by basically like, I don't know. I don't know. It just disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> and just when they think things were getting better, things start to go wrong again. The walls start closing in. We hear the mechanical whine of uh, like heavy hydraulics yeah. starting to push things. And they're like, what is this? And then they notice the walls are coming closer. And closer. Yeah. And closer. And as the trash in the room starts getting pushed up higher towards the walls, our heroes start to panic. They try to scale the walls. They try to stand on top of the trash. So get on top to of get it. Buried. <laughs> yeah. Basically trying to make it as long as they possibly can. 
And in this panic, they remember they could try using the comm link to contact 3PO and R2, who are not in this predicament with them. Right. So, like, Han, Han and Leia primarily with Chewie are, are lifting this, like, beam to try and, like, brace the walls. While Luke is grabbing his comm link and go, going, like, 3PO! 3PO! Where could he be? <laughs> you know, the thing about that is it lets you know... Um, in that kind of moment, what kind of character 3PO is going to be the rest of the show? Well, you know, the, the movie, the, yeah, yeah, the, the franchise, movies, yeah. yeah, the rest of the franchises. Basically, he's going to sort of inadvertently help. He's yeah. going to like save the day, but accidentally in a way that is, yeah, shall we say. And some of the peril that, that he has yeah. to diffuse is peril he created. Because earlier in the movie, or maybe it's intercut with this, is basically the, the, the area that this whole adventure starts on the Death Star where they sort of like figure out where Obi-Wan and stuff, the droids stayed there uh-huh, to watch yeah. the ship. Yeah, in the and, observation deck. And whatever. at this point, yeah. the Imperials have come to retake that command post. And so R2 and C-3PO, C-3PO was like, uh, he needs maintenance. And they've sort of walked and they've ended up sort of aside to the hangar bay where the Millennium Falcon's yeah. going. And he's like, oh, I wonder where they could be. And R2 just like looks over at him and he says, just beeps. And he's like, Oh, the comm link. Oh, I turned it off. <laughs> and what I love about this uh, is that you do see him pick up the comm link earlier as they're leaving the observation post. So it's established that he has it. It's established they've used it already and that it exists. So we as the audience know it's there. But and you can kind of feel the character's time to realize. You kind of feel that C-3PO was like, oh, I switched it off when I walked past the Imperial so they don't know. That we're Just doing being this smart. Stuff. Just being Just safe. Being safe. <laughs> so he turns it on to to the three PO. Three PO, where have you been? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> and you just shut down all the garbage smashers on the detention level. <laughs> shut down all the garbage smashers on the detention level. <laughs> and as we see our characters uh, screaming in agony, about to get crushed, we see that beam that they braced. Over. Bends yeah. completely, no, no totally more. ineffectively. Yeah. Han's trying to get Leia on top of the garbage. She's saying, like, I am trying to get on top of it. And there's just, there's no room to do it. Um, we see R2-D2 spinning the comp link, uh, scomp link, trying to figure this out. Uh, R2 go, going like, no, shut them all down. Shut them all down. <laughs> uh, and, and In the nick of time, our heroes escape. There's a great moment of cinematography here where I love we see the characters get crushed. We see the wall move past the camera and our characters are completely obscured by it. Yes. And yes. so we cut back to to C-3PO. It's like, shut the bowl down, shut the bowl down. And we don't know what's happening. And then we hear of the comm link this screaming. And, <laughs> and, and like, like C-3PO is like, Oh no, I've killed <laughs> they're dying R2. It's my fault. And then we cut back to the and we realize that the walls have stopped and uh all of our characters are celebrating. They're like, Yeah, yeah. They're they're screaming out of excitement of surviving, not dying. Yeah. Yeah. And then three goes like, Oh, an old dead, and he gets all crestfallen and looks like, We're alive, and he like kicks up because C3PO is like, Oh, I didn't kill them, that's good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's He's like, you did it. Yeah, well, you did it. Now open up uh, up the... Where, where are we? Garbage Smasher 3263827. Get us out of here. Um, And 
they do. Now, I want to pause here for one second because I will never forget, like, the a how long the number is for the garbage smasher. I, I have this idea that people in Star Wars are better with numbers than ours because, like, Luke, I, where is that brass plate in the thing? I think he just reads it somewhere and he just knows all six. Three, two, six, three, eight, two, seven. And one thing I've never found out is, was that in the script or is that Mark Hamill just shouting a number? <laughs> you know what you I mean? You think he made it up? I, you think I, he made it up? I think that with the how excited he is and how like tense that release of that scene is, I wouldn't expect Mark Hamill to remember that number from his line readings. <laughs> Um, they had to memorize a lot of crazy dialogue, though, too, to be fair. You can write this stuff, but you, you can't, can't say, say it, it. George. Um, so uh, the one other thing I want to mention right here is this is permanently burned in my head as a what I am as a Star Wars fan and what people significantly younger than me are yeah. not. I watch Star Wars a lot yeah. on television. And after the utterance of 326 3827 is always a commercial break. It's a spot where there's always a commercial break. The soon as the tension of the trash compactor scene is gone. So in my brain, even watching it today, there's a bigger gap between that and the next part of the continuation of the scene. Because to my brain, there's always like a one and a half, three minute commercial break. So funny. That's so funny to me. That's like how your mind is thinking of it. Just because I didn't really ever have that experience. I mean, I've right. watched Star Wars on advertisement-based TV before, but... Not nearly as often as as folks like us who... Yeah. Uh, especially, especially for me, as you said a million times. I had Return of the Jedi on tape. I didn't have the other two on tape. Yeah. So the majority of the time I saw the other two as a youngster was... On USA Network's like Christmas, uh, like marathon, and when it came yeah. on TV, well, on its when own. you would have been the appropriate age for this, I mean, when you first discovered Star Wars, VCRs and VHS tapes were not nearly as prominent as they were by the time I, you know, got my hands well, on one. I mean, by the mid '90s, you had pretty availability. The thing about it that was weird is, yeah, that's it wasn't I, until I, THX. I assumed you were. Before um, that, until the THX versions, which is what ninety six, it's like the year before they got to the special editions. No, it's earlier than that because I those those were the versions I watched. Um, tell you what, let me pull it up. I want to say well, off the top the, of my head, it was ninety five. Yeah, because I mean, the original copy I had was a uh, of Return of the Jedi was like a I don't know eighty eight eighty nine copy my parents had bought that mm-hmm. we the kids sort of it was one of the tapes that ended up in our pile of tapes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the original CBS video home video partnership with 20th Century Fox. I mean, that is not the earliest VHS releases, but like when VHSs were showing up at rental stores regularly, that that kind of era, like late 80s, early 90s. OK, so. Um, I just want to say. 95 95 looks like so the release years. of the THX trilogy which would track for when I saw the uh THX box that's when I was 4 that would have been 95 so like my formative years of Star Wars like 91 92 93 94 95 like that first half of the 90s especially 93 and 94 is pretty much when I knew I'm pretty sure by 94 was when we were having Mac is going to have Star Wars birthdays kind of stuff <laughs> um <laughs> the yeah. thing with that is we we didn't own. I mean that 
actually, I think I got that as now I think about it. I think that was a birthday present was the box set of the THX. Okay. And for the first time in my life, I could watch Empire Strikes Back and New Hope as many times as I want without interruption. My first box set. So we rented the THX box sets. That was the first time seeing them. Yeah. But my first box set I owned was definitely the special edition trilogy. VHS. Yeah, so by the end of the 90s when you had the THX, yeah. which made all of them in print and easy, more easily available, especially when you get to the special edition when people see them in theaters, we have, you know, ubiquity, like VHS, VHS, VCRs are one of those things of like, oh, yeah, I think we got three of them around here somewhere. Like, you, you had them. They were really inexpensive and it was very unheard of to have a household without them. Mm-hmm. And you have TA or DVD right on the cusp. I mean, I think that's when, like, your age, the age gap between us is the right gap to, you don't really have commercials burned into scenes of movies like I do. There are a handful of movies where I'm like, I will, for the eternity, remember exactly where half the commercial breaks are cut because... I mean, it was an art to figure out exactly how do you cut around this movie? Because you have to run commercials. You have to run so many commercials. Right. But you don't want it to just randomly happen in the middle of the show. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, again, after this, you have the trash compactor, which is why I always <laughs> think that there's a long gap. Because the next part of the trash compactor is we see our heroes on the other side of that door. We do. They're basically redressing. Well, they're redressed. But they're in the process of essentially getting out of the stormtrooper disguises, getting into drier clothes, you know, back in their original outfits, now augmented by stormtrooper belts, which I always thought was the coolest thing ever. And I I gotta be honest, like, is it just me or the body glove that stormtroopers wear? Don't you think that's like neoprene? Don't you think that's like a wetsuit? It seemed like that would be perfectly dry and luke's tunic which is somehow compressed underneath all of that it doesn't have like any wrinkles it's amazing they must have like future fabrics it's interesting to see because we don't know we don't ever see them put the stormtrooper armor on we don't see uh them take the stormtrooper armor off so uh, you know definitely left up to the imagination hey why question it and uh Meanwhile, so they change into their their costumes. We're going to see them for the rest of the Death Star scene. Chewie is just sort of like, kind of like ring. He's 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 been wet, but you can kind of see he's probably wrung himself out. There's probably a cut scene where he's like a dog, you know, just <laughs> shook all that wetness out. And Leia's dress just dries instantly. It's very convenient. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. And we see the heroes just basically kind of like Luke and Han are kind of like, yeah, we made it. And Leia's like, you're idiots. <laughs> Some kind of rescue. <laughs> kind of rescue. At this point, she's taking charge. She's like, we almost died. I'm going to take the reins now. Yeah, and, and it's great because Luke's kind of like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and Han's like, listen, sister. <laughs> it's honestly my... F- well, I don't know if I'll go so far as saying my favorite part. One of your favorite. One of my favorite parts. We all know episode four is my favorite Star Wars film. Uh, But it's one of my favorite parts about Star Wars as a whole is how great of a leader and character Leia is in this film. Because to be perfectly honest with you, in episodes five and six, she becomes, it's not that she's less of a leader because she's very much a leader, but she becomes, in my opinion, more of a side character in episodes four and five or five and six than she is well, compared I wouldn't to episode go that, four. I wouldn't go that far. I think the biggest thing about it is we see her at a very vulnerable spot yeah. and we see that Leia's vulnerability yeah expresses itself through aggression let me sorry let me rephrase because i i even just in my head now i realize i said that and i didn't necessarily mean what i said 
What I more meant was, to frame it a little bit better, in the sequel trilogy specifically, yeah, we kind of now have it established that Leia is the crux of not only saving Ben, but saving the resistance, saving the idea of the Republic and yeah. of democracy. That all lands on well, her shoulders. Essentially what I'm saying is Leia is... I think even more of an important character than she was ever given credit for in the original trilogy uh, based on everything that has been built off of the original trilogy. And in the original trilogy in episode four, you can almost see Leia as becoming kind of like the main character, the most important character. And then after that film, it shifts back hard to Han and Luke, right? Like well, when I think Leia's that Holy with... I, I think that Holy Trinity gets enough yeah. screen time. I think the biggest thing I, I to express maybe what you're saying, I'm not sure, but like is in this, she's a 19 year old clandestine leader of a rebellion. Yeah. There is a fire and an aggression to yeah. her that ebbs out of her character, even by the end of this movie. Yeah. Um, because you know, we see her, she, she's brought by Darth Vader in front of Tarkin and she's just like, Oh, governor Tarkin should have known you. Sh you were holding his leech. Like she does not care about anybody. Yeah. She has no fear yeah. at all. And then her planet gets destroyed. Yeah. And you can tell that that there's a humility and a humbleness because her reaction is like, no, you can't do that. Like, listen, I was just fronting. Don't don't take my being, you know, a jerk. Don't don't punish my planet for that. Yeah. And when she has Luke and Leia and she has an opportunity to again have that assertion of dominance, she takes the opportunity because that's what she wants to do. She is sick of being a, the prim and proper senator from Alderaan who's secretly running guns to the resistance. Yeah. Like, she wants to be the rebel leader yeah. and she's been repressing that. And here we're getting that chance for her to express that. And, I mean, she's doing stuff that, like, when you really think about her character is totally outside of her. Because I think now that we know her fully... This scene sort of ends with, will someone get this walking carpet out of my way? Which is like just shy of being a specious slur. <laughs> and I think it's just because she's furious. Mm -hmm. She's lost her planet. They're trying to kill the rebellions. And my so-called rescue isn't even from the rebellion. It's from these three yahoos. Yeah. And they better have something better than they've shown me so far. Because I do need to get the hell out of here. Yes. Also... Where the hell is General Kenobi? He's the one supposed to be leading you idiots. Right? <laughs> Whereas once they escape the Death Star, yeah. she's like, they let us go. I can see that now. Yeah. I can see the strategy that's going on. We got to hope this droid has what we need because we're not out of this. Yeah. And by the end, she's, you know, she's accepted some of that decorum and, and realized that she has to be a symbol for this whole rebellion. She is now the lead, the leader of the last remnants of Alderaan. Every time anyone looks at her, she, they're going to see Alderaan and what they're fighting for. Yeah. And so I think you see that through this and five, and by the time we get to six, her growth from a feisty 19 year old to the patron mother of the rebellion is, is the journey she goes on. And the reason I would challenge that she takes a backseat is like, there are definitely moments, especially in Empire, where I'm like, no, we we, we see that girl again, again, especially when she's mad at Han. Yeah. All through Empire, her her 19 year old Spitfire is reserved for Han Solo. Yeah. 
Yes, you're 100% right. I think what's interesting is at this moment when she leads our heroes out of the trash compactor, she is taking over that leadership role. Yes. We don't see her truly take another leadership role, I think, Mm -hmm. in the original trilogy. There are moments when she's... Well, here's the thing. She takes the leadership. We see her assert her dominance and be the leader. For the rest of the trilogy... She's an assumed leader. Like, get, but is she though? Because, like in Empire, for example, like, um, she's, you know, well, like General, when they're on the when they're on the Falcon, like Han is controlling what they're doing. Leia isn't the one coming up with the plan. When yeah. we're on Cloud City, uh, Leia is hesitant, absolutely, uh, but like they're still following the lead. Well, I of, see, like, I I guess mm, what I'm saying is I feel like that character. There's a shift almost. Well, I think there's an assumed four and five. I think there's an assumed leadership though in five because General Riken refers to her. Yeah, like he's he he's like princess. You know, I think we're we're in trouble. Trouble order the evacuation. Yeah, let's order the evacuation. Like he's yeah. he's submitting to her leadership. Yeah. I think the difference is that she's like like the president. She's like civilian, if you will. Yeah. Like whereas, and it's weird because like. Mon Mothma's lines in return could have been Leia's. Yeah. So why didn't they? And I get that as because that's not what Leia does. Yeah. Leia, I, I see it almost as like uh, almost, pardon me, like Star Trek in the fact that Leia never ascended all the way to the tippy top because she doesn't want to because she wants to still be in the fight. Yeah. She doesn't want a desk job. She wants to be where the, she still wants to be where the action is. And I think, again, with her yeah. and Han Solo, it is a lot of her dealing with Han Solo because Han Solo doesn't respect her manifest yeah. leadership. It's like, well, I can't discuss this committee. I'm not a committee. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and, and and Leia goes through a big vulnerability because she's falling in love. Yeah. Uh, and in, I think, episode six, at least in that meeting, while Mothma is there, Mothma is still saying, like, so, uh, General Solo, do you have your team? And Leia's like, yeah, yeah, Han, do you have your team? Because uh, someone you haven't asked who was ready to volunteer, what are you going to do? Well, I haven't got my team together yet. <laughs> it's like, well, General, I'll go with you, you idiot. You're still that idiot from the Death Star. Yeah. You still have figured out like one fourth of a plan. <laughs> yeah. Very true. Interesting. Uh, I didn't expect for us to go that direction. But yes, no. it's either. fun to see her being this assertive yeah person and and again it it's great because like han's last line here he's like no rewards worth this <laughs> it looks like i think she's great <laughs> yes very much so at this point our heroes have made it out of the trash compactor um they've survived basically their for- first ordeal together this is their first moment of coming together and um sharing in this sort of traumatic experience that will find them all together as they go. You're absolutely right, because essentially a little bit in the hallway, but the trash compactor is where we finally get to see our trilogy, our our trinity of characters here. And that interaction we're going to see for the rest of the movie that is the core of the original trilogy is how these three characters play off of each other. Yeah, very much so. Good stuff. I I mean, you know, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. You should watch it if you haven't seen it. It's a great movie. Um, and I don't know. Do you have anything else? Not necessarily. Um, other than I just want to point out, if you want a great uh, 
trash compactor toy. A couple of years <laughs> ago, Gentle Giant did a uh, con exclusive limited edition Dianoga monster that was all foam and came with all these little trash foam pieces that um, is basically an homage slash remake in a way of a vintage Star Wars toy from a while ago. But uh, it, uh, it's a lot of fun. So definitely check that out if you're interested in a cool piece of collectible. Not that much. You can get them for like 100 bucks. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a great scene. And I think it has, like I said, the contrast of showing you the Empire's seediness underneath its clean exterior as far as visuals. And you have the Dianoga, which is kind of proves something that Star Wars shows all the time, which is life is flipping everywhere. Yes, you can't get is. rid of it. No matter Even where you are, it shows up. In the up. middle of space, somehow, in the heart of this man made thing, uh, life finds a way. It's, it's great. And come back later when we talk about Omi the Dianoga to learn that story on a future episode of Star Wars All In. And you realize this wasn't a threat, it was a baptism. <laughs> You can hear the puffs of smoke coming out of the Millennium Falcon as it comes into landing, just like this episode, as we reach the end of another Shake Star Wars. the water land. and the trash and the grime off of us, you know, clean out all the nooks and crannies, and just like new, we emerge from the you know, trash compactor with a new purpose. Do you think that thing gets closed all the way? Like, how much can it compress all that trash? It's a really good question. I would imagine it compresses it down to a nice, tight little cube. Like, I imagine that after the walls come in this way, just they're like, coming down from the top and bottom. Just like, like we're used to from movies it. and, like, the yeah, car scrappers. That's exactly like, what I'm thinking of. That, yeah. that, that tight little, yeah. like, you know, foot-by-foot foot, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. cube. And because after all the trash gets compacted, it gets ejected into space, right? Yes. I'm pretty sure that's what happens to it. So. At some level. I don't know if it goes right there. Yeah, I'll have to read a certain point of view and remember how Omi survives it. I know that it goes. No, it does go into space because Omi's seen space. Omi yes. knows that she's in space. Yes, totally. That's right. That's totally um, the thing. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. So I, I think we talked about something interesting. I mean, I'm I'm glad we got to another like character sketch. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about Kanan was fun. Yeah. Uh, and and thankfully a lot less work than. Some their characters learning all of theirs. Oh, I mean, true. even at this point, Jin Urso has a handful more material to process than Kanan does. Um, well, I can't take the fact Kanan has all of Rebels. I just watched all of that, so I didn't have to like refresh myself. <laughs> Maybe that's the difference. Is it wasn't in books and comics yeah. I haven't consumed. I naturally consumed all of Kanan's story. Yes, I uh, recently did a Rebels rewatch as well, which uh, has it fresh in my mind. But um, I'm glad I finally read that Kanan comic. Uh, I do want to go back and reread A New Dawn eventually, but Kanan, man, what a great character. Um, it just makes me want more Ezra. Oh, I man. know that seems weird, but I just, it, I the, really want more Ezra. The one the problem with like a lot of modern creation mm-hmm. is it's always these franchise plays. 
And so there's like, I love the end of solo too. And we'll feel betrayed if we never get, you know, I'm sorry, the ending is solo. And I'll be feel betrayed if we don't pick up those threads. I don't want to, I need to know what happens to Kira. Yeah. And the same thing with rebels is like, as we keep going, like when they announced resistance, I got really worried. Cause I'm like, wait, you're, because at the time, a lot of us thought that the new project that animation was working on was a sequel era. Mm-hmm. Like, so they had done Clone Wars, which was prequel era. Mm-hmm. They had done Rebels, which is like OT yep. running up to it. So we thought they would go to a sequel era one about fighting the First Order. And when you see the end of Rebels, you're like, ah, that's where we're going. Yeah. And then we didn't. We didn't. know Because the didn't. sequel era we got was way earlier and way off center from the central conflict than you thought it was. Yeah. And it's like fun and great and i think it's it's, i think it's great for what it is which is it's an actual show for children not man children like me but it's not a sequel to rebels which is what we were thinking um and and especially when captain rex shows up in rebels you kind of get the impression that rebels is the spiritual sequel to clone wars um and as we keep passing time i'm like you you need to get back to that. I need to, I need to see this in my head. Grizzled Ezra, who's been fighting and throwing off the stratagems of Thrawn in some unknown part of this galaxy yeah. for the last twenty years. Yeah, it'll happen. Um, I don't know if did you ever. Like, this is the perfect place to talk about this because it's in the appendix. You ever watch the show Reboot? No, I haven't. Okay, so Reboot, which is the great da- granddaddy of all of these, because it was like the first. Uh, regularly produced American or not American Canadian um, CG animated TV show. And because uh, this is what we do, just like how Tron's some of the first CG ever. And it's about computers because it uses computers. This was about computers. And uh, my story is already too long, but basically it has a big change to like the last uh, season or two where the premise of the show changes. And so the little kid character that's been going through the show he essentially gets lost. He gets thrown out to the internet with his one friend. They fall in love. And by the time that they come back, he's lost an eye. He's a grizzled like gunslinger and he's seen stuff like he's been out in the wilderness. And I'm like, that's what I want to see with Ezra. I want to see Ezra come back back. And just like when, you know, Ahsoka and uh, Sabine are there of like, Ezra, we've been looking for, for you. Well, you got to keep your head down. You don't know what it's like out here. You're going to get yourself killed. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't wait for that. Uh-huh. Um, and it needs to come sooner than later. I, I, cause I want all the same voice cast. I want it all to continue. And I just, I, I feel it's been long enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it has been long enough. I'm itching for it. Yeah. I'm ready. And I truly think that once Clone Wars is done and we have some of that Ahsoka and Maul knowledge, we will hear more about some of the sequels we want, like Solo, like Rebels. Well, the biggest thing is once they close production on Clone Wars, then they can announce whatever animation's actually been working on for the last year since they wrapped uh, Resistance and they... Presumably finished the bulk of the work on these a while ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are they doing next? What is what is Lucasfilm Animation up to? Maybe by next week we'll be able to talk about it. That's true. We are on the eve of May Fourth, so uh, we're we're Star Wars up. Christmas. We're getting there. We'll have the finale of the Clone Wars, and then hopefully more to come. And that cool. Uh, so one other thing we can mention about real time. 
And how exciting is the Mandalorian gallery show going to be? Oh my gosh, I know. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait because I think we talked about it maybe a little bit on this, but like the production of Mandalorian is amazing and is a big wave of the future. A lot of TV shows are going to use this. (laughs) Especially in the situation we're in in the world right now where uh, maybe keeping things closer to home and in smaller spaces that are more controlled is something we need. They found a way to make a budget for a big TV show work. Yeah. They found their strategy. The thing Lucas always said was missing. A way to make the scenes and the sets work. And they found it. And To not reduce get, the scope, uh, but reduce the budget. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get a behind the scenes of that. So it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. It's going to be great. Well, and uh, we'll get talking about even more of this great big galaxy starting next week. Next yeah. Wednesday, you know where to find us. Yeah. Until then, I'm Mac. And I'm Ross. And until next Wednesday. May the force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2020.